to the Mad Max over at Macquarie. I'll, we'll see you in the Thunderdome. The best, the worst, the first. My study of the lithium market sort of shows how difficult... No, we had a belief in where, where lithium was going. That is probably a key question that any potential investor would be trying to find out right now. You're listening to the Global Lithium Podcast. Hello and welcome back to yet another scintillating episode of the Global Lithium Podcast. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Emily Hirsch. And I'm Joe Lowry. And we are once again coming at you from opposite ends of the world. I am here in Buenos Aires, Argentina, where I live, but I am not from. There's been a little confusion on the social media where people have referred to me as Argentine, where I am proud to be mistaken for Argentine, but Alas, I am a gringa in a foreign land. Okay. <laughs> I think I knew that. Well, just giving context to the listeners, um, I am not, in fact, Argentine. Let me just be clear about that. I am proud to be from Western New York, Cattaraugus County. Well, so, well, we've got that out of the way. What are we going to talk about today, Miss Emily? Joe, we are doing a special emergency edition of the Global Lithium Podcast to respond to a really rough week. A really rough month for lithium stocks. Um, Most of the lithium stocks have experienced some pretty radical um, decreases and drops in their stock prices. So I I called the Global Lithium Podcast team to the rescue to hope we can provide a bit of context and clarity to why that's happening and um, what's going on. I guess under the under the surface. More importantly, is it a cause for long concern for the long term investor, or is it an opportunity to buy? Well, Joe, for me, it's just an opportunity to panic. We're also going to chat about the uh, outcome of the recent FMC quarterly earnings, Oro Cobre's desires, and a interesting report that was released by our. Um, our known, our colleagues, our people that we know over at Macquarie called the Thunderdome. Okay, Joe, the first topic to discuss is the FMC quarterly earnings call. Um, The kind of big news, as reported by FMC, is that they are seeing volume increases from our plant in Argentina and average realized price increases of over 20% on both lithium hydroxide and carbonate that lead to a near doubling of lithium segment EBITDA year over year. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm happy that um, they were able to report uh, higher prices because that helps the narrative that price isn't going to hell in a handbasket because of what's happening in China. Um, on the other hand, uh, they, t- they talked about higher carbonate and hydroxide prices as well as metal. And when they talk about carbonate pricing, it's uh, generalizing from a small sample because they are not really a player in the carbonate market. But I do think the fact that 
clearly their hydroxide price and some of their other pricing is up given the uh, you know the slides they put in their deck for the earnings call it showed a quarter over quarter rise in, in price much more significantly than volume and then when we uh, took a look at the the volume claim and yes their volume is up a bit but if we take the statistics we have are through May and we have both their carbonate production numbers as reported to the province and their chloride production numbers. And when we take into account that the, the best part of the, you know, the summer season is part of this. So they had a little tailwind in their numbers and they still don't annualize out to even 18,000 tons of carbonate for the year. What is their stated nameplate capacity? You can't really do nameplate capacity as one number for FMC because they do both chloride and carbonate in Argentina and their brine is not sufficient to run both of their plants at maximum output. So let's not go to nameplate. Let's just say that they've maintained that they would have an increase this year. And they've, they've told multiple people that's been reported back to me on expert calls that they've been saying that they could do 23,000 tons this year. And if we annualize May year to date, it looks more like if they keep doing well, they'll get to maybe 21.5, maybe close to 22. Uh, It's doubtful they'll get to 23. I don't think that matters much, but what does matter is that they need carbonate for their hydroxide plants, and they're only getting to 18,000 tons of carbonate. So they still really uh, are unable to self-sustain their hydroxide expansion. And they they maintained to people that they would be buying next year from Namaska. And that's not going to happen because Namaska is not going to have carbonate production next year. So, um, you know, their earnings look good. It's a good story. But again, when they start talking quarter over quarter, that's, that's really not the way to look at a, a lithium operation is quarter over quarter. It's longer periods of time are much more meaningful. And when you're hyping an IPO, you have a tendency maybe to skew the numbers a little bit. But uh, anyway, it's good news. And the the big takeaway is that price is going up. And I think SQM, when we look at SQM, that they're what I call the bellwether of price outside of China. We're looking forward to those numbers later on the month. And uh, we'll go from there. Joe, last thing on FMC, do you think that the proposed or the upcoming spinoff of Livent come October could be in any way skewing how these numbers are getting reported? Well, I think it's not going to be a a major factor, but yes, I mean, they're smart people and they want to tell a good story. And, um, you know, the IPO, according to the earnings call transcript I read, is still on target for October. So I would say to Pierre, you still have time to change that hideous name of Livent, but you know, that would be our recommendation. But if you're not going to change the name, at least pronounce it properly and call it Levent. I mean, even if they don't pronounce it Levent, Joe, I think a lot of other people will. Because that's the way lithium, L-I, is pronounced in most of the world that has a major impact on the lithium markets. 
Moving along from FMC, we are going to chat about um, our friends over at Oro Cobre and their desires versus reality. The social medias were abuzz this week, Joe, with um, I think a couple of people tweeting or talking about how Oro Cobre said that if they desired, they could produce a 100% battery grade on site. And not only that, that they are the only operation in the world that permits that desire to be realized. You know, Emily, I've kind of uh, changed my ways. I used to be a big critic of Oracobre. I have softened. I'm a supporter. I want to see that operation succeed. But when um, you, you get into a situation where their claims are being made that if we feel like it, we can make perfect product all the time or, you know, battery quality product all the time. And, you know, I, I have a few contacts in this business. So when the social media people got uh, offended by my uh, challenge that maybe that wasn't 100 percent correct, that they could do it anytime they want to and that they probably weren't. Um, I have in front of me 20 analysis from out there in the world of customers of 22 lots, and I'll be getting more lots uh, as the, the next week goes by. I have some commitments for people to send me some analysis, and not one of these lots is battery grade. A lot of them are less than 99% lithium carbonate. So they're they're better than they used to be. They are making them, and I, I'm That's happy good. they're improving, but... To make claims like we can do that, we can make good product anytime we want to. I, I'm just asking: Is it just that you didn't want to? I mean, Joe, I think we've 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 uh, we've established, you know, what the limiting factor in in uh, Oro Cobre's operation is. It's not um, it's not the ponds, it's not the financing, it's not Argentina's uh, peculiar country risks. It's well, lack I, of I, desire. I guess that's it. Because uh, if you make the claim that you can do it anytime you desire and you don't do it, must be your desire level is down. So They just don't want it bad enough. I, I guess not. But anyway, it, you know, long story short, Oracobre has made some strides. That's good for the industry. But, you know, to all the big supporters out there on social media, um, you know, you can call me out for for being, you know, the negative voice. But, hey, I have real data. I, I don't just screenshot excerpts from, you know, annual reports or quarterly reports and, and just believe it. I, I actually get real numbers. Well, and I, I want to sort of finish our Oro Cobra discussion with a, a theme that's going to come up uh, a little bit later in the Thunderdome, that there's there's science words and there are non-science words, right? There's there's words that are selected because they have a specific legal or scientific meaning. Um, for example, reserves, resources, versus words like if desired, which doesn't give you any any science words about what conditions would have to be present. So I would ask those out there to that are looking at lithium stocks, look for science words, and if you see non-science words where there should be something a little bit more technical, raise a red flag in your head. Well, do you, do you think that they need to go from desire to lust to produce 100% battery grade? I mean, what is going to be the tipping point for these non-science words? I don't know, but 
given that we've degenerated to this level, we probably should go on to our next topic. you said that, Joe, because we can get along to our, our main topic of today, which I have written on my notes as lithium stocks and then a sad face. Well, I mean, that's appropriate because it's uh, been a sad story, both for the majors and the juniors over the past, I would say, few months at least. And uh, the question is, is when does that change? Well, this week, especially this week and next week, we this week and next week, this week and last week, because I am not a seer, um, we've seen big uh, big producers, we've seen new producers and advanced juniors, and we've seen early stage exploration companies just get slammed, um, with the majority of them closer to their fifty two week lows than their fifty two week highs, and and a market that doesn't look to be distinguishing very much at all between, especially in the early stage exploration category, what could someday be serious operations and what are clearly, in my estimation, fly-by-night companies that regardless of what happens with supply and price are never going to produce a thing. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, of the of the majors, I mean, the, the stocks that most of the, the, the people that are listening to this podcast are talking about, of the big four, they're talking about the two Western companies because- I'm a big fan of Gangfin and Tanchi's a powerful company, but most of the people listening to the podcast are not investors in in those two companies. Uh, a lot of people that are listening to this podcast are invested in Albemarle and uh, SQM. And Albemarle right now is sitting very close to their 52-week low and almost, you know, they're at 92 today and we're, we're recording this on August the 2nd. And their 52-week high is just a ticker under 145 at 144.99. So they have it's been a bloodbath at ALB. SQM is much closer to their 52-week high. It's Joe, I, 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 today I put up another very scientific poll to see if we can figure out what is causing or what are the elements that are causing these lithium stocks to suffer. And the first question is, do you think it is oversupply fear? I think oversupply was the catalyst. And it has caused a reaction to it, the catalyst and the reaction are uh, related, but uh, the reaction has really been the, the China price and the China spot price that's reported have gone down substantially. And there's been a huge overreaction to that. So yes, the oversupply fears were then exacerbating that price story. And because people are now expecting this tsunami, as our Thunderdome friends would say, uh, to happen. And, and the expectation would be that price would just keep dropping like a rock when the real story is outside of China, the price continues to rise nicely. To give a bit of context, uh, we're referring when we're talking about the Thunderdome to a, a report that came out from Macquarie. I think, was it this week, Joe? I don't know. I, I got it today. I, I'm not a uh, subscriber to the Macquarie 
what do they call it? Macquarie Strategy now. And they have uh, s- seven names on that list. Ooh. And, you know, it, it all, it, it, like Morgan Stanley, the more names you add, the worse things seem to get. I'm going to read a, I think the report was called the Lithium Thunderdome. And we have gone ahead and rather than go ahead with continuing to call them Macquarie, I think we're just going to call them the Mad Max Thunderdome analysts. And for context, for people that don't know the Mad Max series, if you're too young for that, and most of our listeners are not too young. Um <laughs> Uh, so Macquarie, you know, we're, we're, we're just taking liberties with the pronunciation of Macquarie. So now Macquarie has morphed into Mad Max. Well, my favorite excerpt from that report says, quote, It is said that you can't fatten a pig by weighing it, and neither can you tighten the lithium supply demand balance by reorganizing the supply numbers. Whichever way you look at it, this market is sleepwalking into a tsunami of oversupply. Well, I, I'm not sure how many people have ever been sleepwalking into a tsunami. I, I dare say not many. And I dare say that um, like most of the things that Macquarie writes, it will become a footnote in the history of analysis because it's just... They go from weakness to weakness, in my opinion, rather than from strength to strength. And they have just continued to double down on price is going to crash, supply is too high, blah, 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 when they really don't have any good numbers to support their theory. Irregardless of what you say, Joe, they say that they (laughs) see a price plunge to $7,000 per ton of LCE CIF China by mid-2019. Before we get any hate mail for grammatical destruction and uh, poor verbiage to the Lithium podcast site, Emily is well aware that irregardless was not a word in the English language until very recently uh, when it was made a word only because so many ill-informed people said irregardless. And you can you can Google that, and uh, I I know of what I speak because my mother was an English teacher, and we kind of lump Macquarie into the sayers of irregardless before Webster gave up and made it a word. Don't go nuclear on me, Joe. The um, when we talk about the pricing. Um, an area I wanted to draw some some differences between is we've got contracts versus spot price. We've got China price versus outside of China price. And we've got hydroxide price versus carbonate price. Where should I start when I'm trying to figure out what's happening and what I need to be looking at? Well, I think, I think if you're looking at um, the producers outside of China, most of FMCs, you know, based on what we heard in the earnings report and based on what I used to do when I worked for them, most of that uh, volume's contracted. It's it's not sold in the spot market. And, you know, Mr. Brando cleverly said that we have almost no exposure to the spot market and carbonate. Well, that's because you sell almost no carbonate. But, uh, you know, let's not put too fine a point on it. But true with SQM, SQM, most of their sales are, are on short-term contracts or medium-term contracts, but they're not spot. 
and uh, Albemarle is the great boaster of being having most of their volume on long-term uh, contracts. When you go to the Gangfins and the Tanchies, uh, I would say their contract profile is much more like SQM's uh, than uh, Abelmarl's, but most of the most of the product sold is not the spot on the spot market price. Most of it's longer term contracts. Is are most of the contracts outside of China, and then the spot market is inside of China, or is the China price a totally different? Um topic for me to understand besides the contract versus spot. I think Gangfen and Tianchi, if you look at them, you'd say they they move their product more like an SQM does, not with like five, five-year deals, but it's not like mm-hmm. daily pricing, like uh, a true spot market. So let's just say that the spot market probably represents well under, it's single digits of the total volume that moves. Percentage wise. So we're seeing Chinese prices going down, which is our spot prices um, and our, you know, inside China prices. Are we seeing prices or contract prices and then prices outside of China going up? Well, I think uh, FMC indicated that their pricing Q2 of 18 versus Q2 of 17 is up, was it 20% ish? And, uh, SQM, we'll see their numbers, and I'd rather do it what last quarter over this quarter rather than last year's second quarter. I think that's a more meaningful comparison. So on our next podcast, we'll talk about what uh, Abelmarl and SQM report. Their, their reports aren't in yet, but I'm expecting SQM's numbers to be up, not a huge amount from last quarter, but certainly the trend's up and not down. And I think what we want to convey to people is that this whole sky is falling mentality on price is really generalizing from the headlines from the China spot price. The next question on what's causing the sort of the bloodbath in the Thunderdome is the the question of the investor profile. So this is putting me out of my depth a bit, but do you think that we're seeing more trading than investing? In, if I if I call trading sort of active, short term, in and out of positions quickly, profit seeking versus sort of a more passive, long term appreciation investment mindset. Do you think we've seen a switch in the lithium space from investing to trading? I think you're going to wind up linking what we talk about on this podcast to what we talk about in London uh, on kind of the LME story. I think. I think there's a lot of factors here. And I, I think the fact that people really aren't confident about what the price really is. And there is really a need to have a high quality price reporting mechanism that we don't have right now. I mean, I get price information because I have access to real prices, but I'm not in the business of reporting that because most of it, most of the information I get on an individual basis is, is confidential. Um, but I think with investors now that there's a fatigue in the whole story. Uh, people were very bullish on the lithium stocks. They got ahead of themselves. I don't think it's trading as much as it is just this story is t- there's easier investments to make. This is You have to do a lot of work to fully understand the lithium industry, to fully understand lithium stocks and the value of lithium stocks. And I, I just don't think uh, people want to do people want to do the work. 
um, in, in many cases. So I think you've had a lot of people exit. And I think you have a fair, fair amount of people who don't really get the story uh, going short. So that was my next topic. Do you think that we're seeing shorting of especially some of the, the big producers or some of the new slash near production companies? I don't I don't have numbers on what the short interest is in various stocks. I I don't I'm a long term player in this thing, uh, but I do I I have a lot of anecdotal information from people that I've done calls with who said they were long. Now they're short, but they're they're wanting to just validate that they've made the right decision. And if they call me and talk to me when they get hang up the phone, they don't think they made the right decision because I think the long term for the high quality juniors and the big four, the long term is a great story. There are a lot of lesser this tier two and tier three juniors. I think long term, their value goes to zero in many cases. But if we're talking about the, you know, the top five or six juniors and the big four, it's a great story going forward. The next possible cause that I wanted to examine was the the issue of are we are we misstating or overstating the demand side from the EV perspective, uh, especially in light of the end of or phasing out of some Chinese subsidies to the EV industry? I won't say that. I'm not going to say subsidies don't matter. They matter in the short term. Uh, there's a lot of short-term movements uh, in, the, in the Chinese market because of people's read on subsidy. But I think the long-term you know, structural uh, components of the market are very bullish now for EV penetration. And when I look at it, I don't really care what China does in 2018 or with 2019 on subsidies, because I think in the end, if they see a decline in penetration, they're going to change their subsidy policy. I think China loves to tinker with these policies. And I, I've watched them do it in other businesses that were markets that lithium participated in. And China had different policies at different times, and the market would go up and down based on those policies. And I think the EV story, it's the government's going to continue to tinker. and. But the long term is they want EV sold. And so to to obsess over what happens in a quarter or what happens uh, in any short any, in any short term time period is missing the point. It's game on with EVs. Well, this is this is actually an area where I, I would love to see more, you know, three, four hundred page reports from some of the bigger investment banks, because the the EV demand story has a much higher number of important variables than just the lithium story. It's it's a bigger market. It's much more global. It has to do with the you know the electricity infrastructure that has to do with different local uh, localized, for example, electricity sales mechanisms. And this is an area where I think. Um, we could we could see some surprises and, and and we could see these surprises on the on on much higher demand depending on on you know switching from 
our you know current gas powered vehicles to electric vehicles implies so many more changes than simply saying how much power you know how much range how how much charging do we need for you know one car to offset what a consumer would buy and switch over there's there's so many more factors subsidies and and government policies being one but sort of infrastructure and other abilities that if this is an area i find really exciting to 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 watch and i'd love to see more research on on this area personally yeah i i guess i i believe china will um look at the big picture and if they have to change their policies to you know correct a dampening in ev demand they'll do it but i think we've gotten past the point where this movement towards electrification uh, you know, I don't think you can say now that if, if the go- all the governments don't support it massively, that it's going to collapse because I think it's it's gotten or it's near critical mass. And, uh, you know, where you know, we talked about the tipping point last time. I won't go into that again, but um, I think it's it's game on with EVs. And I think ESS is the same way. I mean, ESS is ahead of where we thought it would be two years ago. It's that tipping point's gonna happen sooner. And so this massive Thunderdome tsunami of oversupply uh, is really predicated on, you know, two false premises. One is that there's gonna be a lot more supply than it will actually happen. And two, they they tend to get the demand wrong and uh, tend to be uh, more agnostic on you know some of the the EV religion. The last cause I want to just take a quick look at is the the global sort of macro conditions. You know, there's there's fear of a global slowdown that can impact metals demand or slow down the transition to EVs with U.S. interest rates going up, which has a tightening effect on equity markets, which increases emerging market risk. The U.S. and China are having a trade war. The U.S. dollar could be increasing in strength. Do you think that's having weighing on the lithium market at all? You know, you, you have two factors. You have the factors in just the industry you're in, and then you have the macro factors. So if if you're fighting a, a, a market that's going down as a market itself, as a, you know, if if various stock markets around the world are under pressure, yeah, that's, that's going to exacerbate what's happening in lithium. But, you know, I mean, my largest single stock holding, you know, is is Apple. And I think Apple, either yesterday or today, hit a hit an all time high. And my second biggest holding is Netflix, and it's up seven hundred percent on my average investment in the last few years. So, um, yeah. And the cynical listener will say, "Well, you should have sold your Netflix like three weeks ago before it started tanking." But um, you know, um, I don't see the market falling off a cliff right now. I see there's a lot of there's a lot of negatives, but I'm not that's not what I do. I'm not a I'm not a market a broad market analyst. I can only tell you what my investments are. And my three biggest investments are Berkshire Hathaway, Apple's the biggest, and Netflix. And then I have a whole basket of lithium stocks after that. And I'm not running to the doors. I'm staying the course and this is not investment advice. Do your own research. 
I'm this, just. Uh, <laughs> this podcast has been brought to you by Netflix. <laughs> no. And you know the reason. Well, if we're if we're going to get to towards the end of the broadcast here, uh, the reason I bought Netflix is because my younger daughter told me she thought it was a good idea. You know, a few years ago when she was at Southern Cal. And just since we're talking about my younger daughter, let's just say that I want to thank the lithium world because she has been greenlit in her campaign to raise funds for her uh, short film. Uh, you didn't. You don't have to get a hundred percent of your target. You have to go over eighty percent, which she did this week. A couple days left in the campaign, so it's not too late to give. But she is at eighty-seven percent as we speak. And the lithium world was a big part of that. And I just want to say thank you to everybody uh, who contributed and either, you know, doesn't matter what your level of contribution was. We're thankful for everybody who took up my daughter's case. Get it, girl. Yeah. So your daughter is fundraising on Seed and Spark for her short film, The Society. Um, she's greenlit and we can help her get to her 100% goal. I think we'll be able to have the link in our show notes um, so that anybody who wants to to help her, you know, <laughs> she was right about Netflix. She might be right about the, the film space. So let's... <laughs> There's only a couple days left, so I'm not sure we're going to have this online before the campaign's over. But hey, it might be. It might be the last day. So if you listen to this on Sunday, hurry up and be the guy to push her to the goal. Anyway, thanks, everybody, for doing that. And, um, you know, we, uh, we've, we've done three podcasts here in pretty short succession. We're not going to make this a weekly thing, uh, but we did feel like given all the gnashing of teeth about especially junior share pricing that that we should say something and then uh, i will make one other comment that uh you know i got i got a lot of people saying to me that they felt bad about the way i got let go from fmc after reading my personal blog and i just want to say again it everything's good it's it's all right i am uh, i i survived so Thank you for those who uh, reached out to me and said, gee, that's awful what they, you know, what happened. And they said, actually, it was uh, one of the best days of my life. Joe, as you said, since this is sort of a special emergency broadcast of the Global Lithium podcast, um, I, we're going to go ahead and, and come to a close. Um, if, if listeners want to find more, more Joe or more Emily, I'm on Twitter at Lithium Podcast. And Joe, as he's drinking his, his beer over there, he is at, oh, his Diet Dr. It's, Pepper. It's... It's. Uh, <laughs> I stand corrected. It's Diet Dr. Pepper. This podcast brought to you by Diet Dr. Pepper.